Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Hi, everybody. Um, My name is Rachel. I'm a compulsive overeater, and uh, I'm really glad to be here. I'm also really glad that I um, found out how to do the hide self view uh, button on Zoom because um, my first couple of times speaking on the Zoom meeting were very disconcerting until I learned how to do that. So um, yeah, little little trick. Um, anyway, uh, I, I see a lot of familiar faces and, and some unfamiliar cats. Um, and faces. And so uh, I just kind of want to give you my stats first. Um, and first of all, this is my story. Um, I do not speak for OA. Take what you like and leave the rest. Um, so I came into my first meeting uh, in 1985 uh, when I was 15 years old. I just turned the big 5 0. Um, and I did not get abstinent at that first meeting. I knew that, um, the way that I heard about OA, God bless Ann Landers, is I had read in one of her columns that, um, if you are like the alcoholic is with alcohol, the drug addict is with drugs, with food, then, you know, you might want to try this program. And even at 15 years old, I I knew, okay, that was me. And so um, my uh, my mom took me to my first meeting in a church basement in Arlington, Texas, where I grew up. And uh, even though I would have rather have been anywhere else in the world, the mall, you know, you name it, I knew that I belonged. Um, And for... Uh, but anyway, but I didn't get abstinent uh, until June of 2000. So I just celebrated um, 20 years of back-to-back abstinence, one day at a time, by the grace of God. Um, so before you get out your calculators, um, that means it took me a long time to get abstinent. And um, it doesn't have to. I don't know why. It took me 15 years. I really never left. Um, in that 15 year period. Um, but I, I can't really call myself a chronic relapser because I was never, to me, relapse means at one time you were unlapsed. And basically I could not get, um, I couldn't string together two, three days of abstinence. Um, I did have a couple of 30 day chips and, uh, a 90 day chip, I think. And the longest period of time I had prior to, getting abstinent in 2000 was six and a half months. But basically all the other time in that 15 years, um, I just, you know, I was a every day, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a grazer. I am a shut the blinds, don't answer the phone, low bottom binger. Um, just to give you some stats, my top weight was 40 pounds heavier than I am now. Um, and at certain periods in my eating career, I did purge, but, uh, I feel like all that did, I feel like, a, a I call myself a century person in sheep's clothing because I was a fat bulimic. Um, all purging really did was enable me to 
purge, start the binge all over again until I would finally just pass out without purging. So I, you know, used to think, God, I can't even do bulimia right. <laughs> so anyway, um, so yeah, that's what it was like. It was pretty damn uh, lousy and, and you all know, and I won't talk a lot about my family because they have their dysfunction less than some, uh, more than some. Um, but I, um, you know, I basically hit a bottom. Um, a lot of you have heard the apartment story, <laughs> um, but I'll tell it again because it's so emblematic of where I was. I um, was living in an apartment in, in Houston. Uh, I had moved there. I had left school. I basically binged my way out of college because, you know, I just, I couldn't concentrate uh, long enough to you know, study or I did really, really well in high school. And then when I went off to college, um, everything just sort of fell apart. And so I was living in this apartment in Houston and on the outside things looked okay, but on the inside I had stopped. I mean, there, I had stopped cleaning up after myself. There were food wrappers and dirty dishes and it was disgusting. And I really wanted to kill myself. And, um, if you think uh, it's easy to buy a gun in Texas, it's not as easy as you think, but I was doing Five some research. Okay, thanks, I'll move on to what happened. But anyway, so my dilemma was, um, I wanted to kill myself, but I didn't want to kill myself and have people find me in this disgusting apartment. But if I could clean up my apartment, you know, if I could get my shit together long enough to clean up my apartment, um, to have a, a suitable environment to kill myself, then I'd have my shit together and I wouldn't have to kill myself. So that was my dilemma. So basically what happened was a good friend who is not in 12-step programs, she was a good friend at the time, um, basically made a deal with me. She and her fiance came out, helped me clean up the apartment if I went and stayed with her in San Francisco. Uh, and went to meeting every day, and I did. Um, so, uh, and I ended up moving to, I, I live in San Francisco, I live in the city. Um, and, and that's what I did. I, you know, I realized I, I don't, there were different times in my life when I thought I had hit a bottom, but I didn't know what my bottom was until I, I bounced from it. Um, you know, there were things that I thought, okay, this has got to be my bottom, and they just weren't. So what happened was, um, I started, I went to a meeting every day. I did 90 and 90 and then kind of went to a meeting. It was, it was basically my full-time job. Um, I was lucky in that I had saved up some money for a rainy day and this was about as freaking rainy as it could get. And so um, I did a 90 and 90 and went to a meeting every day for like the first six months I was in program. Uh, and, but the, the main thing is, is that I worked the steps. Um, I had worked the steps before, but not all the way through, um, because there's something I, I'm kind of a big book thumper. Um, so, and there was something I was reading the other day in, uh, in a story, the housewife who drank at home that says, <clears throat> mere cessation from drinking is not enough for an alcoholic while the need for that drink goes on. Um, and that's true. You know, I have, it, you know, it, it starts with 
uh, entire abstinence, you know, like it says in the doctor's opinion, the only thing we have to recommend is entire abstinence. That doesn't mean perfect abstinence necessarily. You know, if, uh, you know, I, I do happen to follow a weight and measured food plan, but like if an egg falls on the floor, I'm not going to scoop it up and scramble it and eat it. Um, you know, but I, I have to be entirely abstinent from my alcoholic foods. And, you know, if you want to talk to me about my food plan or whatever, my plan of eating um, after the meeting, feel free to contact me. But, but, um, but that's like the beginning. That's like step zero. You know, I have to get the substance. I have to, you know, be sober enough with the substance that I can work the steps. But if I don't work the steps, then, you know, then it's just a diet. And then I'm going to be right back in the food. Um, because of the buildup of human emotion that I have. Um, and so that's kind of what I did. Um, I started working the steps with the sponsor and for me, um, I kind of did, you know, I knew I was powerless over food. You know, my life was obviously unmanageable. You know, I'd been fired from jobs and the apartment thing. I mean, an obvious left school and, and et cetera. Um, step two and three, this is sort of, um, I don't know, 12 step blasphemy, but I feel like I did step three before I did step two. Um, in that, you know, I basically turned my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. And one day at a time, for some reason, I wasn't compulsively overeating and binging my brains out. And so I, I had to believe that this was God, you know, that restoring me to sanity because I knew it wasn't me, you know, I'm not, you know, I know I'm not stupid. Um, most of the people that I meet in 12 step rooms strike me as above having above average intelligence. You know, we're not a glum lot and we are not a dumb lot. If we could figure this out, then we, we would. But, um, I, so I knew that this wasn't me. I knew that something was restoring me to sanity. And so, you know, whereas I had believed in God before, I just didn't know why he wasn't helping me. <laughs> um, now I was like, okay, you, you show me, you've proven this to me. So that's, um, that's kind of what happened. And also, you know, when people ask like, what was it after 15 years? Like, what was the one thing? And I wish I knew because I would write a book and <laughs> I would sell it. Um, or I tell all of you, but I, I can't put my finger on one thing. I do know that I had to be entirely willing to give up those foods that I thought, yeah, but I binge on everything, but the foods that I go to first, five, five minutes, Rachel. five minutes. Okay. Thanks. Um, I know that, you know, I had to work all 12 steps and also, um, one of the things that I started doing was service and, when my sponsor first told me, you know, okay, you need to start sponsoring. And I was only like four months abstinent. I was like, you're kidding. I have nothing to give. But she was like, well, you've worked, you know, steps four and five. And, um, you know, I can't, I can't keep it unless I give it away. This is, you know, this is not a self-help program. This is an other help program. Uh, you know, when Bill and Bob are founders, uh, started things off like 
they knew, uh, you know, instinctively or whatever you want to call it, God, that, that they had to carry the message or else they were doomed. Um, you know, it says in Dr. Bob's nightmare, um, you know, he gives, he lists these four reasons for doing service. And, and, and the last one is if I can find it, um, that, that every time he does so, um, he takes out a little bit more insurance against his next slip. And so, yeah, so I, I started doing service because I was, that's what I was told to do. Not because I was running for Pope or Saint or anything like that. So, um, um, yeah, what it's like now, I always like to hear what people do on a daily basis. Um, I, first thing I do in the morning is I pray in the last about year and a half, um, I started uh, attending a meeting that goes through the big book um, one paragraph at a time and it's completely like been the shot in the arm for my program that I've I've needed um, and you know I my big book is decrepit my first big book is you know I've been through it many many times it's it's fallen apart and yet I can go through it one paragraph at a time and be like, okay, where was this before? <laughs> like, where were they hiding this before? It was just amazing. And so, you know, I do uh, that meeting. I sponsor, uh, I have a sponsor. I do a daily written 10 steps. Sometimes it's only five minutes long, but I have to, I have to do a daily inventory because I have this buildup of, of emotion that if I don't clean it out, you know, it's like a mental floss. It's like emotional floss. If I don't clean it out, it builds up and it gets nasty and threatens, you know, my connection with my higher power, which is, you know, the big book says the whole purpose of this book is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself that can read, that can solve your problem. Um, and so I have to keep that connection, that channel, um, clear or else, you know, if it's not clear, then things start looking, you know, good to me and, um, my character defects start to pop up. So, um, you know, I have to do that and writing my inventory is one way that I'm able to do that. Um, there's lately, one of the things that I've been doing is a new way to do my fear inventory um and it's really cool uh where let's see if i can find it no i had it marked uh, oh here we go um where basically how much time do i have by the way one minute and eight seconds oh okay i don't have much time to do this but anyway um, where it's talking about fear and this is on page um, 67 and 68 um, where it's it's basically it's talking about and this inventory and if you want to talk to me afterwards or you know at a later time I can tell you about it it's basically talking about like why do I have this fear um, is it because you know self-reliance has failed me yeah you know that's what i have learned that for everything things that i think like god doesn't care about this i have to be completely reliant upon my higher power um 
and and I look and see, you know, why do I have this fear? Am I relying on myself, you know, finite self or infinite God? And usually the reason why I have this fear is I'm, I'm relying on my finite self. And then I say the fear prayer. Uh, let's see, where is it? Uh, uh, it said, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be at once we commence to outgrow fear. So I ask God, God, please remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. Um, I said it before this meeting today because I was scared. And, uh, and then I write, like, what would God have me be? And, um, and usually it's just, it's not like, okay, be courageous. It's acting in spite of fear. So that's really helped me in the last several months, I'd say, and I think with everything going on um, in the world, uh, especially, it's been useful. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up because I want to hear what you guys have to say. Um, thank you for asking me to speak, and I'll pass.